and welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name's Warren Shoot, and I'm here today on this lovely day with Paul. It's at my office, I'm all on my own, and I've got Paul on the other side of here. How are you doing, Paul? I am great, thanks, Warren. How are you? I'm good. I had a fantastic Easter weekend. Um, as you'll probably agree, the weather was amazing, wasn't it? Um, so funny. So sunny, so good. I think everyone's got a smile in their face when that happens. Um, it certainly charged my batteries. Uh, the sky was beautifully blue. blue. Um, and this week's not been too bad. Definitely the temperature's dropped a bit with a bit of um, showers coming out. But um, it's still okay. I'm, I'm still optimistic. So uh, fingers crossed this weekend will be okay. But I think Storm Hannah is on her way. So uh, we'll have to watch out for that one. All right, well, let, let's stick on the theme of optimism for this week because I want to talk one for the savers, I think, this week. Okay. It used to be the case that I remember the days when basically you, if you had a lump sum of money, you could put at least a chunk of it into an ISA, not really worry about it, it'd earn you a pretty penny on the interest rates, all great. Since 2007 8, of course, all of that's changed. And Savers, as we hear in the news, have been, have been pretty hard hit with interest rates being at record lows and just above for so long now. Yeah. So I guess my question this week is, if I've got a lump sum, and let's call it 25 to 30K, if I've got some money that's basically sitting around in a bank account not really doing much for me, what should I be doing with that? Where, where, where should I go? Sure, sure. Okay, okay. So, um, you know... When we give planning advice, we look at principles. We look at first principles and in the way things go. So looking at the money plan, first thing, if we've got unsecured debt, we want to put the £1,000 on deposit and we want to pay that money to pay down unsecured debt, credit cards, loans, anything like that, car finance, to pay down the unsecured debt and keep the thing. Um, if we've done that, if that's repaid, then we want to make sure we've got, say, three to six months of our expenditure held in a safe place somewhere National savings investments premium bonds is my preference, but it could be a high street, high interest account. Um, so that's kept safe. Let's now make the assumption that you've done that, you've ticked. This is maybe in addition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you asked this question for, to, let's say, 10 financial experts, I would make a guess that roughly five would say to you, um, pay down your mortgage, and roughly five would say, invest the money. Okay, so the the, pre the premise behind that is that by paying down your mortgage, and I had it to last week actually with a client, very, very successful guy, looking at several million pounds, and I said to him, pay your mortgage down. And he couldn't quite get that because the rate of interest was so low. What I explained was is by paying down your mortgage, you get a guaranteed return, a guaranteed certainty. So reflects on what you just said, Going back to pre-2007, we would get a decent rate of interest on deposit, or even if you're paying, um, say, 1.5% on your mortgage, which is a very good rate, by the time you add on the fees, what might have been charged for you if you invest the money, by the time you add on tax that you might pay, well, actually, you're probably knocking around 3% anyway. So by taking your money and paying off your mortgage, you get a guaranteed return and the certainty of your return. Now, with that said, it's not very exciting paying you. <laughs> That's why a lot of advisors will flick to the other side and say, invest the money. Invest the money because the return you're going to get, the world stock market's averaged around 9% a year. 
um, let's say you pay about 1% in fees for a tracker fund, so you're around about 8% net return. You hold that on an ISA, there's no tax to pay, well, you're, you're quids in, you're winning. And yes, that's true, but one of the things as a listener has got to remember is we're having this conversation now in April 2019, okay? Um, since 2007, 2008, the financial crisis, we've had a tremendous bull market. Um, and a bull market is basically when the market rises in value. I don't really see alarm bells on the horizon myself. Um, the only concern I have is that the economy goes in cycles and that's a long period of time. And therefore, if you're looking to enter the market now with your only pot of money, let's say it's 25,000 pounds, and you've done your basics, you've done your unsecured debt, and you've put your money in your emergency reserve, consider splitting it. Consider splitting it, maybe putting some money on your mortgage and some money in an investment. And in the money plan, we talk about a 40-40-20 split. Okay, And the 40-40-20 split is basically 40% of the money into mortgage overpayment, 40% of the money into pensions, typically, or investments, and then 20% of the money reinvesting back in yourself. And it's an interesting one, that, because actually investing in yourself, developing yourself, creating new skills, is probably the best investment you'll ever make. You are your best investment. You have the ability to make more money than probably any investment you can make, particularly while you're in the accumulation stage. So making sure that you continually sharpen the sword, as um, Stephen Covey used to say, making sure that your skills are optimum so you can either earn more money or create more money through your business is very, very important and shouldn't be overlooked. So allocation-wise, big picture, 40% towards mortgage overpayment, 40% towards investment, and 20% reinvesting yourself. Okay. okay. That that forty percent investment or yep. any other, because I want to come on to a couple of scenarios in a minute. Yeah. What do I do with do it? With That's what do you really I want to know. Really do I start googling? Yeah. What, what do I do? What you really want to know is how am I going to invest the money, Warren? How am I going to invest yeah. it? Okay. Exactly. Right. That's fine. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer. Okay, but I want to make sure we go it in, go at it in order. So we're only now looking at the investment portion. And the first yes. thing we do is we look at the type of account or wrapper that we hold it in. Okay, so ideally a pension, but that's only for money that you want to access from retirement onwards. So 55, 57, 60, something like that. Okay, um, if you want to have access to the money sooner, then consider an ISA. An ISA, very tax efficient no um, uh, early repayment penalties or anything else. If you're looking to buy a house, definitely consider the lifetime ISA, okay, the Lisa. It gives you an extra 25% bonus on the money that can go into that. So they're the wrapper accounts that you look at. And if you go on our website, we've actually got a comparison of all the wrapper accounts, so that'll help you there. Okay. Now, once you've chosen the account, you then invest the money. Now, this now comes down to what's your time horizon? How long until you need to access the money and why are you investing you know this is something that people don't often ask is why am i investing why am i going to put my money at risk because while it's in the bank there is little inflation admittedly but there's little risk to the money as soon as we start investing we take on risk so that's where you're asked why am i investing so 
a lot of people make more money would be would be the usual answer, right? I, I want to grow that twenty okay. k in forty. Okay, I'll go with that to, to make more money. When do you want access to the money? Well, let's say well. Uh, from from our previous conversations, I know that if I say less than five years, and then I shouldn't be near the markets, and preferably seven or more, right? See, I pay attention. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> very good, Paul. Very good. But it's true. You're absolutely right. So, and the reason we say less than uh, sorry, less than five years is because if we look at previous tops in the market, 2000, 2007, and you can do this on Yahoo or Google Finance. Bring up a chart. Type in FTSE 100. You look at the chart, if it shows you um, the peak in um, 2000, you'll see it come down and recover. And that cycle generally is about five years just to recover itself. And the same in 2007, 2008, that's a similar sort of um, period. It was a little bit quicker then because we had quantitative easing and that pumped money into the economy, which boosted the stock market quicker. But the reason we have a five-year term is we don't know, nobody, it doesn't matter how confident they tell you, doesn't know what the market's going to open up at tomorrow. They might have a good indication or idea, but they don't know for certain. And if somebody does something ridiculous like flies planes into the Twin Towers, some of that, and we have a stock market correction, you want to make sure that you're able to weather that storm. Okay. So over the long term, the capital markets, the stock markets will rise in value because there's a fundamental process going on there. It's not speculation. These companies are making profits, therefore they're worth more money. But in the short term, they are based on news events. And we don't, news is new. We don't know what's going to happen. So five, seven years is an ideal minimum term. And then we ask, okay, how much could the money go down by before you would begin to feel uncomfortable? So if we're going to look at, let's say, £10,000, and I, when I do my corporate presentations, I do this as a, an audience participation. I get everyone with their hands up. I say, okay, you've got £10,000 or £100,000, whatever it might be. If that investment were to fall to £9,000, how would you feel? Put your hand down if you start getting worried and want to come out of the market. And occasionally one or two people out of an audience to say 30 or 50 might put their hands down. If it goes down to £70,000, how do you feel? You see a lot more people put their hands down. If it goes down to £5,000, how do you feel? And you know, most of the audience normally put their hands down at that stage. And what I'm getting at is the stock markets fluctuate. The... Typical fluctuation in a world stock market, if you look at 2000 or 2007 as extremes, was about 50%. And that means if we invested £10,000 today and it was near a peak of a market, it could go down to £5,000. But you only are going to recover that money if you remain invested. And remember, it's going to take about five years to go from a peak to a uh, trough to a peak again. So we have to stay invested during that time. If you can withstand that, if your psychology allows that, then hey, get exposure to a 100% stock market. But if that fall concerns you or would worry you or would, might make you pull the money out of the market, then you need to dilute your stock market exposure. Okay? And when you're making a decision, really think about it because quite often or not, intellectually, we would answer, I'd be fine. I know more stock market exposure produces a greater return. But when you turn on the TV, when you listen to the radio when you're driving, when you pick up the paper, or you now you look at every kind of social media and news report, the markets, it's, it, and the key phrase is, it's different this time. That's typically what they say. It's different this time, okay? 
Um, and therefore, you know, you tend to worry, you second guess or you doubt yourself. So what we tend to say to people is, by how much can it fall in value? If 50% is too much, then you dilute it with cash or short-term fixed interest, so low-risk investments, things like that. And if you go to lexo.co.uk, you'll see a range of 10 portfolios on there. Um, portfolio number 10 is a 100% stock market, and you can see the returns and the volatility. And you can see by reducing the stock market from 9 90%, 80 70 60 going down, how the return comes down, but so does the volatility, and so does the drawdown as well. And you can chart them all together so you can see the patterns and it will give you a flavor of how you should invest. And really what you want to do is take as much stock market exposure as you can comfortably withstand. And that's really where I'm coming from. I know it's a long answer to you asking, where do I invest it? You invest it in the stock market pool. But what you want to do is make sure you only accept as much stock market exposure as you can comfortably withstand. Um, and typically a 100% portfolio will fall about 50%. And I know just briefly, we, we've covered this and touched on it before, but there's the whole passive versus active, as, it, as it's called, investing, and, and one where someone is, well, in, in fact, you explain because you're the expert here. Okay, well, that's fine. So, okay, so you're absolutely right. When we invest in the stock market, we generally invest in funds. So we don't buy individual shares. And the reason we don't buy individual shares is we can't get enough diversification. We can't get enough spread. If we're investing £10,000, um, really we want a few hundred shares, preferably a few thousand, to get diversification in the portfolio. We want to invest all over the world. And with a, an amount of, say, £10,000, or if I'm honest, even a million pounds, that's not enough money to get diversification. So we buy funds. And a fund is a collection of shares. And sometimes a fund is managed by an individual, a man or a lady, and they buy and sell the shares in that fund to try, use the word try, and beat the stock market over the long run. Okay? Um, and those funds might be geographically based. So you might have a UK fund, you might have a North American fund, you might have a European fund, or sometimes they're thematic based. So you might have a technology fund or a biotech fund. Okay, or um, uh, a mining fund. Does that kind of make sense? So the, the yeah. fund manager or the fund management company, more precisely, can decide how those funds are put together. And there's some guidelines that they have to adhere to when they're running that fund. But the main, the main principle that you need to understand is they are trying to outperform the market when they manage that money. And then on the flip side, the antithesis, the opposite to a, a, an actively managed fund, is what we would call an index tracker fund or um, a passive fund. And that's simply where typically a computer would run your portfolio. And these again could be geographically based. There could be a UK tracker fund. It could be a North America tracker fund. You don't generally get thematic based index funds. You wouldn't typically get an index biotech fund or something like that. That's not normal. I've not ever come across one of those. But what they're doing with the tracker fund is they're just buying every single share typically in that allotment. So if it's a UK tracker fund, they'll buy all the companies in the FTSE all share. And they buy them in market cap weighting order normally. So they'll buy more of the bigger company and less of the smaller companies. Um, and the same with the US. They'll buy all the funds in the, in the, all the companies in the US. They buy them and they hold on to them. And every time there's a change, they'll keep them in line with the underlying index and allow them to do what they're doing. Because of computers running it, Generally speaking, the fees for these funds are so much lower. And 
kind of linking back to my recommendation of paying down the mortgage gives you a guaranteed return. Keeping your fees to a minimum is a guaranteed saving, a guaranteed return. So if we keep the fees low, we're going to make sure that you keep more of the money. And that's another reason why we use index funds, because the fees are often lower. And there's lots of arguments out there about, oh, but index funds don't do well in downward markets or index funds don't do so well in undeveloped markets like the, uh, the emerging markets. Um, I, I don't buy into any of those stories. Um, I don't believe they're accurate. Um, I am very much into a more passive approach in my investing uh, than active hands down in any market sector and all of the funds on the Lexo website are passive or indexed style funds um, in which you do it. And I've probably said this a number of times, but I cite a competition or a bet that Warren Buffett raised in the US. Um, and this is pretty much where he offered a million pounds up if anyone could beat the S&P 500 index. And he did this back in 2007. Uh, and only one guy came forward who offered it. So think about all these active funds out there run by all these big companies. So if, if you're listening to this and you have an active fund, you might ask yourself the question, well, why didn't my fund manager try and go for the bet? <laughs> you know, all he's got to do is beat the US index, for goodness sake. Um, and only one guy came forward, and rather than choosing one fund, he asked for a collection, a basket. I think it was five funds. Um, and hey, fair play, his name was Jeff. And fair play to him, after the first few um, weeks or months, he got off to a good start. And I think he was leading in the first couple of years, but that didn't last. Uh, and I think this is what the research shows us, that active fund managers do well sometimes, but not consistently. Um, and really, when we're investing, it's about a consistent return that we want. So indexing all the way for me. Okay. And then just very briefly, just a, a, a couple more queries. Yep. Let's say I've already paid off my mortgage. Where, where am I on your 40-40-20 split then? Sure. What, what, am I, what am I doing then? Okay, so this is where we have to take a bit of rationale ourselves and make a bit of a decision. You could just use a blanket decision and say, okay, I'm 80-20. So I'm going to take of the 100% of the money that I've got available, I'm going to take 80% of the money and I'm going to invest it for the long term. I'm going to take 20% of the money and reinvest it back in myself. And when I talk about reinvesting back in yourself, sometimes you could reinvest it into learning skills, um, courses, that kind of thing. But sometimes it might be giving yourself a well-deserved break and taking a good holiday. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only criteria behind it is you don't take any debt out for it. Okay, so you don't go and then buy a car and finance the other balancing amount of money on it. Um, you only buy things cash that you could afford to buy. Only buy things that you can afford to buy. Um, so... Whereas some people will be um, already very well prepared for retirement, okay? They might have a very good retirement fund in place and they might choose to keep it 40% towards their retirement, carry on that, but have 60% for themselves, okay? Um, we have this um, mantra um, that I tend to use, uh, now, then, them, okay? And what I mean by that is, Make sure your current financial position is in order first, okay? Make sure your bank account, your savings, everything else is in order. And from what you just said, my, if my mortgage is paid off, you've ticked that box. Then, then let's look at our future days, our retirement. Is that in order? If I've got things sorted there, if, I, my, if my mortgage on track to be paid, is my retirement sorted out? And then we look at them. If you've got that sorted out, there's no better gift and enjoyment than helping others. 
And I would much rather see my clients, particularly when they're going through the financial planning process, once they've got their now and their then sorted, helping people during your lifetime is much more enjoyable for the donor and the recipient to gift during their lifetime rather on their death. Okay, so helping your family members out, helping your children buy their first home, helping um, your anyone, you know, whoever it might be, it might actually be helping your parents. During your lifetime, it's much nicer for both parties to enjoy the experience than just leaving it in your will as a legacy on your death. Now, you've got to make sure you're now and your then are secure first, and then we can look at the, the then. Okay, great. And very, very final question then is, you mentioned uh, an ISA being a, the, the typical uh, good wrapper if you're not looking to tie something up into a pension. And yep. I talked about 25 grand, but there's a 20 grand cap on an ISA in a, in a financial year. Yep. So let's bump it up. Let's say I've got 50 grand in the bank and I'm, I'm looking to do something with it. What do I do if I don't want to tie it up into a pension and I cap off 20 of it in the ISA? What about the other 30? Yep, sure. Okay, so a nice allowance £20,000. Anything over that, for nice and simplistic sake, you can put into a, what we call a general investment account. Now, this basically operates in a very, very, very similar manner as an ISA. Okay, however, there's no limit on how much you can put in. But the, the, on the downside is any gains over your capital gains tax allowance is taxed at either 10 or 20%. Now, I think your capital gains tax allowance in the current year is £12,000, okay? I say things, it just changed a few weeks ago, but I'm pretty sure it's £12,000. So any gains over the £12,000 will be taxed at 10 or 20%. In a year? In a year, yeah. So only when you realise it, only when you realise it. So let's, let's run a scenario. Let's say you've got £50,000, like you said, and we've got £20,000 into an ISA, thank you. We've got £30,000 left. We invest that money and we have a conversation in a year's time and that's grown by 10%. It's a good return. The market does nine. Got a bit on fees, but we've done better in the market. So that's grown by 10%. So that 30,000 is now at 33,000 pounds. If I don't sell that investment, there's no tax to pay. It's called an unrealized capital gain. Okay. okay. Therefore, that 33,000 pounds will start the next year and will carry on hopefully growing in value. If I were to sell that investment after the first year, when it's 33, I've got a 3,000 pound gain, which will fall within my capital gains tax allowance, which we just said is 12,000 pounds. So there's no tax to pay. Now I can't, under HORC regulations, buy that same investment again. But I can buy a very similar investment. And what I then do is I start my clock ticking again. So my 33,000 pound investment in investment B or number two starts again and grows. And if this happens again next year, I'm now at what 36,000 pounds roughly. My gain is only 3,000 pounds because it went from 33 to 36, and I can okay. repeat that investment. And this is this is why, as a firm, Lexington, we run mirror portfolios, and they are basically two investment portfolios that are almost identical to one another, but they are different. And it allows us, to, we, it allows us to run a client portfolio, sometimes of several hundred thousand pounds, by buying and selling different tax years so we keep the capital gains tax manageable. Okay, so um, for the average individual out there, if you're looking at, say, let's say you bumped up to 50,000 pounds there, 20,000 pounds into an ISA, the balance into a general account, and then what we can do at the end of the first year, we can do a thing called bed and ISA, 
It means selling £20,000 of my general account money and putting it into next year's ISA allowance. So I'll now have £40,000 in ISAs and yeah. 10 plus the growth in the general account. And then at the end of year two, we can do the final exercise where we can bed an ISA at £10,000 and growth and put it into ISAs. So what we're eventually doing is wrapping all the money up into ISAs. And this is exactly what we would do for a client with a much larger portfolio. We generally want to move the money into more tax efficient wrappers. And obviously, if you imagine you're looking at a lot larger sums, it takes a lot longer to do. So it's just time. And I, I sort of talked to a client the other day. Success with investing is all about having the right strategy, okay? Having the right psychology, having the strategy, taking action and reviewing it, but just allowing time to take its place. And I think this is a lot of with life, you know, just success in life is allowing time to run its course. Make sure you're on the right track and then allow time to run its course. So find a good investment solution. It's not a plug for Lexo, but Lexo is an excellent uh, investment solution. If not, find something and benchmark it against it um, and allow time to run its course um, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Great. Okay. I'd better stop there or I'll be going on all day. But yeah, that was, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, answered all your questions. Anything else? Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. So I just wanted to you know, listen to, um, just read out to all the listeners, um, just a review that I received in. So um, we're airing this both on YouTube and on um, iTunes and um, all the other podcast players that we're able to get hold of. Um, please leave us a review. Um, either at the bottom on YouTube or on the podcast players, or drop me an email. Um, this is a review we received last week from Helen. Um, Helen said, uh, in June last year, I was over, I was highly in debt. Um, I couldn't imagine ever being in a position where I'd be able to buy my first property. I took on board all that you've said. I read your book um, you gave me from cover to cover and used all the online resources. I'm so happy to say that I'll be completely debt-free in May. Uh, we're reading this in April, so she obviously can see the ends in sight. Uh, this year, and my partner of I partner and I have both worked out that we'll be in a position to buy a house with a deposit we have saved by the end of 2019. Uh, all of this has been done without anything being put on hold, and I think that's the strapline from the book. It's like enjoy today's plan for tomorrow, but just live life. It's not about trying to do, plan everything for the future date. Life is a journey for you to enjoy. Uh, I've been able to go on holiday and enjoyed life by learning to, she used the word budget, I hate budget, but let's say manage our money uh, correctly. Uh, she goes on to say, you've totally changed my life. It sounds dramatic. If I wouldn't be in the position I am in now if I've not heard you, you speak. Uh, and a huge thank you to you. So, um, hey, this stuff isn't made up. It works. Um, please share with us your stories, your challenges, um, and your questions. Uh, let us know what you have and we will address them in future days uh, and future episodes. I will say a big thank you to Paul. I appreciate you sharing this with me. Um, makes it a lot more fun for me um, and keeps me on my toes when you throw questions like that at me. Uh, make sure you <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> yeah, you do a good job of it as well. I appreciate it. So, hey, you enjoy your weekend. Take care, Paul, and I'll speak to you next week. You too. Thanks, Warren. Bye-bye.